Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Um, there, you know, we're, I, I chose to preach witness um, from this scripture in part because um, world outreach is the uh, mission arm of the EPC. And it's the scripture that's up there. So I started to stay in line with our denomination. You know what I'm saying? Look at me playing within the lines, coloring in the lines. Look at me doing that. Anyway, praise God. Amen, somebody. Um, But anyway, it is a very apropos verse. Um, Just for a little bit of context, Habakkuk is one of those 12 minor prophet books, right? And um, it it has a very similar theme. Um, There's petitions to the Lord. God's people are in distress. Um, And then there are indictments that are kind of levied out by God. He's like, okay, y'all crying for me to do something. Lord, let me tell you why bad things are happening. Um, And in similar fashion with the rest of uh, the prophetic corpus, there is usually um, wherever God's people are not prospering, usually there is some funky practice going on, right? They're doing some things that are out of step with what it means to be God's covenant children. And usually that means if God's people are doing things that are out of step with what they should be doing, then their leadership is faulty and defunct too. And so they've had a failure of leadership, which has led to a failure in their culture. And not only is God bringing indictments against his own people in Habakkuk, he's also chastising the foreign nations too for doing things that are not in line with his character and his will for humanity. Humanity. And just like most of the prophetic literature, there's petitions of prayer, help us. There are indictments. Let me tell you what's going on and diagnostics of why things are happening. But in every prophetic book, there is a glimmer of hope. And when you get to the end of chapter 3 of Habakkuk, you see a little hope. And then inside, one of the, one of the most common scriptures um, that I think we've all heard before is the one that we chose today, is there's a little bit of hope right? That one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so that's where we'll land today because this is our core value to witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, PT, how do you get from glory covering the sea to witnessing the person work of Jesus Christ? I'm glad you asked me. Um, And we'll deal with that. Um, So let me just give you a quick little uh, foreshadowing of where we're headed today. Why um, do we need to go? This is our core value deep dive to witness to the personal work of Jesus Christ. You can shorten it by saying that's mission work. Everybody say mission work. And in mission work, you got to go. Everybody say we got to go somewhere. Turn to your neighbor and say we got to go. Girl, you can't just sit down. If we want to witness to the personal work of Jesus Christ, we got to go. Uh, And so, why do we go? Uh, We go to make up the knowledge gap. We go because everyone is not here. And we we go because the spread of God's glory is his desire. One more time. We go to make up the knowledge gap. We go because everybody's not here. And we go because the spread of God's glory is his desire. All right? Let's talk about this knowledge gap. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. Knowledge. 
of the glory of God, right? Um, what is the glory? Um, that's, a, that's a big Bible word. The glory of the Lord is his special, weighty, unmistakable presence amongst his people. That's, that's you know, you could fill up a whole bunch of volumes of books on if you were doing a deep word study on the glory of the Lord, but I've tried to boil that down into at least three big concepts that should get you uh, to level one, right? Uh, I was messing with Steve and Tracy. They gave me some books. They said, PT, this is like seminary stuff, and then there's like level one stuff. This is like level one. I was like, praise God, praise God. I'm a level one reader, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, hey, this will get you in the door. What is glory? It's his special, weighty, unmistakable presence amongst his people, right? And so um, what would happen? This is what made Israel special. When you get to the end of Exodus and you see now the tabernacle on the move, God's people would not have been his people if that tabernacle wasn't traveling with them. So it makes it distinct. His glory amongst his people, his presence amongst his people, the pillar of fire, right, by night, the by day, all those things, right? That's what makes us distinct is his presence amongst us. In Israel, sole purpose, it existed. We see that in Genesis 12, right? I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations, right? Israel existed so other nations might be able to understand who they cannot see, who they've never met, right? I, I have put my glory amongst the people so that other people might know me. So how we close this gap. John 1 goes on to say that the Word became flesh, John 1 and 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, right? And we have seen His glory. Uh-oh, right? Old Testament, this glory had to be uh, covered. It had to be shrouded. Um, you couldn't go in it if you were just a regular common person, right? Only Yom Kippur, and you had to put tassels, and you had to put bells in there because you might die if you went in there. Man, what happened to Jeff? Man, he ain't make it. He was unrighteous in the presence of God, right? Hey, right? But what happened is that veiled glory, come on, somebody help me preach it, it became put on flesh, and it came and dwelled amongst us. And his name was Jesus. And so what people, what was a mystery to some people throughout the ages became clear to some of us who had the ability to see it, right? He became flesh, it dwelled amongst us. And John says, we have seen that glory that has been veiled to most people. We've seen that glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. On the EPC's website, everybody say three billion. I don't care who you are, what denomination, if you are pretty much a part of the evangelical Christian camp, you have some version or statement with the basic same statement of three billion. Am I right? All my Listen, I don't know how God does it. Now, I'm preaching a sermon on missions to about 10 experts in the room. And I'm like, golly, why is this, Lord? Why? I'm looking at all my goats. Dan and Catherine are here. Our church planting coach is liaison. Come on, put your hands together, right? My girl, best downline represented. All my goats in here. You know, we all in here. Uh, but praise God. We all have, we share this number in common according to the EPC website, that there are three billion who woke up today in spiritual darkness, blind to the glory and love of Jesus Christ, cut off from worshiping the one true God. Just take a couple layers off of it. There are three billion people on the face of this planet who do not have access to Bibles, who do not have access to preachers in churches, 
who do not have access to small groups, who don't have access to Sarah Young's devotionals, who can't go on the internet and know what the name of Jesus is. It, it means nothing in their culture. I'm talking about three billion people on this planet who if you said Jesus, they'd be like, who is that? Paul addresses this. He says there's a knowledge gap. He says, first of all, there's a knowledge gap because Satan, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That we know this to be true, that even if you're America and you have a church on every corner in America, that still doesn't mean you know who Jesus is. Why? It's because Satan has blinded. Satan has snatched up the seeds. Satan has confused the witness of the church. So even if you know what the church is, even if you know the name of Jesus, you're like, it's irrelevant to me. Can I get a witness? Lights and walls. So first, Satan has confused the message. People are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. But praise God, who through Jesus Christ our Lord, lets his light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I just want to give you an opportunity to praise real quick. I just want to give you an opportunity to worship. I know a lot of y'all, first of all, you know, some of y'all, how many of y'all grew up in church? How many of y'all got that testimony? I grew up in church, but I never heard the gospel. I know you're ashamed to raise them hands, but don't do it. It's okay. You knew I was coming down your street. <laughs> Maybe we could just pause for just a second. Because we know that this strictly was strictly because of the sovereign mercy and providence of God. That you were not born into a family, into a culture that does not even have the word Jesus in their lexicon. You ever thought about that? That you could have been born and grew up in a place, in a space where nobody even knew. They, there were no steeples. There were no good or bad churches to choose from. There was nobody proclaiming the name of Jesus on your street. Can we just praise God that by his mercy somehow he led somebody to us, allowed us to be born in a space where we can know his name, where there was established missionaries, people with a heart to lead and disciple other people. All right, okay, I hear you. I'm moving on, Avenue. I know you're, you're done with that. People need to know the gospel. We go because there is a knowledge gap. People don't know that God of creation... The one who made the stars, the one who had a good plan and a good design for his world. They don't know that. The one who has an order to all the chaos. The one who actually had blessing plan for his world until we fumbled the bag and made things right. They don't know that story. And they don't know that even though we are culpable for what we see in the world, that he himself has provided a solution to that problem. 
don't know it, y'all, that, that he has radically, the God who created it all, who is innocent of all the things wrong with the world, he chose to wrap himself in flesh and pay for the sins of all of humanity, past, present, and future. They don't know, y'all. They don't know that that God said, hey, it's not enough for me to die for you. I'm going to live in you through my spirit, and I'm going to empower you to do things that you never thought were possible. I'm going to give you new hearts that will guide you in different directions that you never went before. They don't know, y'all. And there, some of us are even nihilistic. They don't know that this world is not headed towards one big ball of darkness. That one day, if you place your faith in Jesus, you get to be a part of the world that's all made right, y'all. They don't know it, y'all. We go because people don't know yet. And I think it's a very Western and American thing just to assume that, oh, people aren't choosing Jesus. They've already heard of Jesus, but they just choose him because they're doing other things. Some people don't know. And how will they know unless someone shares it with them? We go because everyone is not here. Not only is there a knowledge problem, when you go back to Habakkuk 2 and 4, that one day this prophetic promise that the glory of the Lord, um, the earth will be filled, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It seems to be at the very least that something progressive is happening. If something is going to cover, right, it's not perfect yet, something is going to happen. So right now it's incomplete. Whatever the end will be, it's not there yet. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord has not covered the earth yet. So therefore, people got to get on the move. We got to go where people aren't. One commentary just says this, that the prophets, this particular refrain, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, you can find that in Isaiah, you can find that in Psalms. It's a common kind of refrain. And it's one that the prophets used to nurture hope that one day light would indeed reach to all the nations. And I think this is really important for us as, as we think about disciple making. You know, we're not just talking about the brother or the sister who's in our congregation. We're not just talking about family discipleship. So you don't, get to, you don't get out of Matthew 28, 19, yeah, I'm just discipling my children. No, no, no. But there's a going, there's a reaching, and it carries with it the idea that something needs to be all-encompassing. That is the mission, that one day what we know will cover the whole face of the earth. We've been commanded to make disciples amongst all the nations, not just where we are. And part of this message, I just confess with you, it's like, man, as we sat and we're thinking about witnessing, we've been very focused narrowly, faithfully, but narrowly, probably in our context. And you know what? I imagine there are some churches in America who are so focused on reaching the nations that they're a little bit lax on reaching their neighbors. And that's okay. It's okay. Because we'll all have areas where we need to tighten up and grow. 
I'm just confessing to y'all, I think I've probably been leading you in a place that has been a little bit more narrow than what I'd like to be. And I just want, I'm not coming up here as an expert. I'm preaching to myself. We need to rediscover a discipleship model that's taking us to all the nations everywhere. That's all I'm saying. And that just means we'll have to go. If three billion people woke up today without access to the gospel, then somebody's got to go, not just tell them. The first step to them acquiring the knowledge is somebody has to actually get to them. Does that make sense, y'all? Yeah, just because we will, we want them to know something don't mean they're going to know it. Somebody's got to actually get to them to know it. You want the sad statistics that's also on our EPC website is that only 3% of all Christian workers and only 1% of mission dollars go to the unreached people groups. We have this problem of preaching where the gospel already is working. Preaching where there's already ministry taking place. I, me and Gina were sitting down at GA with another part of our church planting team. And I think our mouths kind of just hit the table. They say, y'all know where most of the newer churches are being planted? They're like, where? The Bible Belt. And we were like, what? Wasn't that right? There has got to be a recapturing of the idea that some people don't know. And we have got to be working feverishly and creatively to try to find out where the gospel is not oversaturated and get the messages there. Whether that's domestic or whether that's worldwide. So funny, Dan has referenced this scripture a thousand times. When we were at streets and we were talking as 25 of us about what it would look like to be a church together, he mentioned Romans 15:20. When he came to preach here, he referenced Romans 15:20. In meetings that we would have in second prayers about where we're going to plant this church and the philosophy behind it, he would reference Romans 15:20. What is that, Pastor Tim? It's Paul saying it's always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was already known. No, where Christ was not known so that he would not be building on someone else's foundation. If I don't care if you're a pastor, I think more of the burden falls on me, but it's all of us. We should always be thinking collectively, where is it not known and how can we get it there, yo? In football, we used to have this thing. We shared this phrase, phraseology called running the daylight. And I remember when I would play running back, I was kind of a little anxious and scared. So I would just literally get the ball, and I, I feel like my eyes would probably be closed like a couple tenths of seconds, and I just hear, burr, 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 cop, burr, 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 cop, burr. And things are moving so fast, I would just see blurs like, 
But then every once in a while, I get that thing. I hear, <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That boy about to go hit his head on the goalpost. You about to see these knees and elbows. Because I done, hey, Sammy, I done found me some daylight. I done found me some places where people ain't. And I'm about to go scope, baby. A couple years ago, the New York football Jets, I think it must have been like a Monday night, very infamous play. Quarterback gets the ball, and he kind of probably was going through what I was going through. Things went awry, and he was like, oh, God. And they called this play, sorry, I know you got kids in here, but I know y'all say tushy, the butt fumble. Because the man got a little nervous, and all of a sudden, he ran up his own guy's backside, knocked himself out, the balls flailing all around, the other team go score. What I'm saying is, church, we got to run the daylight, man. We got to stop fumbling over ourselves, trying to go where people are. You know, some people actually choose to plant churches where they know it will be successful. And you know, some people, not you, like to give to churches where you know, oh, I'm not going to give to that church. I don't see how the gospel could ever penetrate that soil. I'm going to give to where I know that church will be around in 20 years. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know it's very easy to do ministry. Where's the population growth? What's the income level? You can make it very systematic. Or you can step out on faith and say, God, where does this thing need to go? And would you give us faith to match where you are leading us? To know that where you call us, you will provide. And even if we were walking places for years in darkness, being faithful is more, worth more to me than being successful. Those are two different concepts, Americans. Faithfulness and successfulness. You need to do a reckoning. This thing needs to go everywhere. Why? Why does it need to go everywhere? Because... The spread of God's glory is his desire. The earth will be filled. I told you this is a repeated scriptural motif. Isaiah 72, Isaiah 11. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, and that's the way that he wants it. Habakkuk 2.14 expresses the Lord's, I believe, his deepest desire that he would be known I want to be known. Keller would say he wrote himself into the script so people would know him. Because life can only be found in and through him. And your version of Christianity will only be fulfilling in as much as you share that desire. Christianity is really a bummer if you don't share the desire for God to be famous. 
Let me repeat. Christianity is going to be a real big stinker if you don't share the desire for people to know the Lord and for his name to spread everywhere because that's all he's talking about from beginning to end of Scripture. I create people who bear my image so creation knows. And at the end, my people will dwell with me. I'll dwell with them so they know. He wants to be known, y'all. Exodus 7, 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Psalms 46, 10, be still and know that I am and I will be exalted. Where? Just in the house of Israel? Amongst the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. Isaiah 52 and 10, the Lord has bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. We go because God's deepest desire is that he would be known, that his glory would be experienced amongst all the earth. So, so what? I already got ahead of myself, but let's just put these four kind of conclusions up here. Just for us to chew on. Christianity is going to be really miserable and unfulfilling and onerous at best if we don't share our Father's heart to spread his fame. I think some of y'all have already experienced that too. It's like, man, why aren't things working out for me? And when God is like doing a whole nother thing, now you trying to do your thing and he trying to do his thing, the beautiful benefit is that as you do his thing, he won't disregard your things. He gonna do it on his time and his way. But you can pursue your establishment and your glory, and you can miss out on what he's doing. I've never met a person who made it their heart's desire to seek first the kingdom of God that did not have deep fulfillment and contentment in their life. I always bump into people in my shepherding who we always, I'm experiencing deep discontentment and unfulfillment. What's happening? And we usually end that time together of shepherding saying, we got to put things back in order. Let's get God first and then let him prove himself to take care of your needs and even give you some of those ones. Secondly, our mission activity should be the overflow of our following. I love how I didn't plan it like this, but worship and witness kind of come back to back together for us. It's like, man, I'm sitting there singing, if the stars rain, I don't even know the words. You know how I'll be on there. Something. Something faithful is being said. I just want in on it. Put me in on that thing. We don't need missionaries. We don't need legalistic missionaries. I have to, you know how them Jehovah Witness come with you now. Brother, I'm just here, you are my 25th house today. I gotta go here, and you know what, as soon as my two years up, I'm out of here. I don't even wanna be here. I'm good, you argue me down, I'm out. We need people who want to, I have some good news. 
Can I tell you about the one who created? Can I tell you about the one who redeemed it? Listen, sometimes it's like I'm literally worshiping like, man, somebody needs to know. How many of y'all been in worship and God's given you a fresh revelation of himself? And you're like, oh, my God, somebody needs to know. He's a provider. He's a way maker. He's a sustainer. He calms anxiety. He quells my fears. He stabilizes my life. He's forgiven all of my sins. Somebody needs to know this. Does anybody have a burden? And that burden is coming out of your worship. It's coming out of something you are genuinely experiencing in your life. My God, somebody needs to know this. Our mission needs to come out of the overflow of our worship. It needs to come out of the overflow of our following. If you're following Jesus, then you're going to do some mission. You're going to find somebody who don't know it. You're going to find somebody where, where it's not at, and you know that it's your father's desire, and you're going to get after it. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he does. And if you're not trying to fish, I wonder who you're following. Our lives must be dedicated to the movement and not dedicated to the institution. The church and the mission of God, the Missio Dei, it's a movement. It's a movement. We are doing a thing. And when I made the silly analogy about butt fumbles, it's the idea that the church is so fixated on reforming the church that we're missing the mission. We're so, for, we're so fixated on our political ideology that we're missing the going, that people don't know something. And we're worried about all these other things. It's like, man, somebody does not know the gospel. Who's going to tell them? Let me tell you something about movements and institutions. Movements breed a sense of urgency sacrifice and inclusiveness. You go back through history and you study any movement. You study the civil rights movement. You study the Underground Railroad. You study European revolutions and all the things people do to see those things come alive. The amount of sacrifice, the defying death, the amount of things that they do just to propagate their ideology and the people they'll welcome in just because they want their thing to spread. Do you know what institutions do? They get stale, they're self-centered, they're complacent, and they're very unwelcoming. They start worshiping what they're doing, their comfort, their way of doing whatever it is they're doing, and all of a sudden they start othering everybody else. They're not really interested in welcoming other people in. They're never on the go. All they want to do is maintain. But our God says he's doing a thing. He is pushing his glory throughout the whole earth. And I'm wondering, is God pushing something? And we like, yeah, we'll catch up with you later. He's like, I'm going. And we like, all right, let me know when you get back. I love when Gina's like, baby, I need some milk. That's the first warning shot. Baby, I need some milk. Okay. Second shot. Baby, I'm going to run to Kroger to get some milk. But you don't have your keys or your purse. I'm just, that's the second shot. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right, baby. 
What about us, though, y'all? What does Jesus have to do for us for us to get the hint? That our good news has to be on the move. Dad's going. We got to go. We must use whatever we have to be faithful where we are and be prayerful about where or who he may send us to. I'll just say this. I was listening to Tony Evans, and sometimes we, we do have a weird, funky thing going on with like our, our vocations and ministry and how those things connect whether or not our vocation should be fulfilling to us. I think I was talking to uh, Big Harold back there, and he was like, man, you know, Tim, sometimes I think we get too caught up on our vocation. Sometimes our vocation is just our vocation. We just work and we pay bills. We don't have to actually find our life's calling in our vocation. Sometimes it's a season is what it is. However... We can always be using that vocation for the furthering of that gospel. Who, are you, who doesn't know where I'm at? Who are you sending me to? How can I use this for the furthering of your glory? And then sometimes it is directly. You can use your vocation directly. It's like, Lord, how do I use these hands? How do I use this brain? How do I use the Excel sheets? How do I use the platform I have directly so that people who don't know can hear who you are? Have we lost sight of that burden and why God has given you that place, why he put you at that university? Why he allowed you to be the coach of that team? Why he allowed you to do reading at that elementary school? Have we lost sight of who's ordering the steps of our life and what his ultimate goal is to see his glory spread throughout the whole earth? Tony Evans says, some of us, God has already given us a call and a passion that's connected with mission. We just haven't even connected the dots yet. I wonder if this week you can begin to ask God, God, show me where, where I might need to connect the dots. You can't, if you're American, even if you don't like soccer, you know that this is messy mania. Some of y'all know some, you know. If you don't, and some of y'all are like, what? What? I think for Americans, we have probably one of the, inarguably, the top five players of all of soccer who at the tail end of his prime has decided to kind of play his last soccer in the States. And uh, they have milked us to death. They have, they have garnered all the momentum they could. Hey, y'all, here's a picture of Messi putting on his cleats. Here's a picture of Messi in the grocery store. And here's a, I mean, they milk it. Come on, stay, keep your eyes glued. Uh, but who that guy is, what he represents to the world of soccer is unmistakable. And I love when we, we kind of watched this first game. It just didn't matter. You had LeBron there. Just people who just wanted to get a glimpse, just be a part of the event to be in this space, to honor this person's greatness and what he's meant to the sport.
think as we think about missions, all I'm praying for really for us, just some elementary steps. So we see this as a biblical and scriptural call. Uh-oh. God wants his glory to be spread throughout all the earth. And that's part of our, our burden is we share our daddy's burden. And we got to get to work. But then maybe we start asking some diagnostic questions as to why that's been so cumbersome. Why that's not instinctive. And what could motivate us to more joyfully join with God in mission? And I think it starts with why you would pay $3,000 to sit in the upper deck of a stadium to see a tiny figure play in the rain some soccer. It's because to some people, it would not have mattered how much it costs to be in that stadium when Lionel Messi played his first soccer game in the US, because it meant that much. And I think what we have to do inside of our own hearts is we gotta ask ourselves some real questions. How much and how valuable is the glory of God in our life? And would it be worth us going is there a price that you could put on experiencing it? Is there a price you could put on being a part of other people coming to know it? How valuable it is for us. Maybe I'll just catalyze you by this. If there were ever a doubt on how valuable you think God is, I want to remind you of how valuable he thought you were. Giving up the most convenient, most amazing seat in the known galaxy to come down here and trade years of sinless living for your nastiness so that you would be welcomed into his family forever. That's not enough motivation to go, nothing will ever will be.